Hello, and welcome to Fertility in Focus, a podcast dedicated to exploring the complex and emotional journey of fertility. I'm your host, Carolyn Dubay, and I am thrilled to share this space with you. Whether you're actively trying to conceive, considering your options, or simply interested in learning about fertility, we're here to offer insight, inspiration, and hope. Each week, we'll feature interviews with leading fertility experts and real stories from people who have experienced the highs and lows of building a family of their dreams. So let's dive in and bring fertility into focus. Welcome back to another episode of Fertility in Focus, a podcast by Fertility Matters Canada. I am so excited today to be with Canadian superstar, (laughs) Terry. Hart is here with us today. I cannot believe uh, our good fortune. Terry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. (laughs) You have been, so many of our listeners, especially in Canada, will obviously recognize your name. You're very active even on social media now. And you have a really personal connection, your own fertility journey, and have been a long-standing sort of you and Fertility Matters have been connected through instant messaging and those things over the years. And I have always appreciated you sending us messages to say, please do not forget about the people who have traveled a journey and are living child-free or without children because of infertility. You have always reminded us. And I have appreciated that so, so much. Um, So thank you so much. I would love for you to tell our listeners, you know, a little bit about who you are and your fertility journey. I'd love to hear it because I actually don't know the whole story either. Um, My husband and I, he wasn't my husband at the time. We got married since. Anyway, we like to do things a bit backwards. (laughs) Um, Certain things were more important to us than other things Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And so we started trying to have a baby um, when I was 34. My husband's quite a bit older than I am. And you know, after a few months, things weren't going along. And I'd, I'd known enough other friends who had sought um, fertility help uh, to get pregnant. And I was just like, I'm not going to waste any time here. I'm not getting any younger and he's not getting any younger. Let's jump in. And so we jumped in and we jumped in and, you know, like most other people started on some Clomed, thought that that was going to be what we needed and off to the races. Well, six years later, five miscarriages, multiple IUIs. I never got to IVF because I never produced enough follicles, even though I was using um, the maximum amount of injectables. We, we tried to adopt, uh, we tried egg donor three days before our egg donor transfer. Our clinic was shut down by the RCMP. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. And by that point, I was uh, just over 40 years old. So it was a six-year journey, and I um, am one of the people who didn't end up with a baby, with a child, as a parent, however you want to phrase that. And for multiple avenues, from trying to have our own biological child, to trying to use an egg donor, to try and go down the adoption route. And since that experience, it's long ago now, if anybody thinks that I'm um, sounding so together... (laughs) After after six years and so much heartache and so much disappointment and, and so much struggle, really, um, I'm 51 years old now. So this ended um, over 10 years ago or the actual um, our decision to end our um, fertility journey 
ended over 10 years ago and I am proudly an infertile woman. Um, I think that there's a very big difference between seeking help for getting pregnant and, and fertility and ending up with a child and actually being infertile, which I am. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. But again, that's part of my advocacy, uh, if you can call it that, around reminding people that, and there's a lot of reasons, Carolyn, that I talk about this, not just so I'm seen, although that is part of it. Um, I want my story to be seen. I want to exist as a woman who lives child-free, not by choice, to still have uh, relevance and not be overlooked in society, which can happen sometimes, but also to tell people wherever they are on their journey, that this is still their choice and it is still their body and it is still their bank account and it is still their relationship. And they need to take care of themselves and those other things as much as trying to tend to the dream and that desperate, desperate want to become a parent. You mentioned like desperately wanting to become a parent and I remember in my own fertility journey, that desperation, that feeling for some in the public eye. So you have, you know, for many, many years been in front of a TV camera <laughs> and you were going through this journey as a public figure. How did you manage that internal turmoil? I'm sure potentially stress in your relationships, stress in your interpersonal relationships, how did you manage that? I mean, it was. And on another hand, it kind of wasn't, Carolyn, because my husband and I made a choice very early on that we weren't going to tell anybody that we really felt, especially when we started going down the road of egg donor, we were doing that simultaneously with uh, stimulated cycles. But we really felt that I just had a different job than most people. Um, I didn't tend to work nine to five. I do. I did a lot of um, screenings and events at night and I traveled a ton. I was in Los Angeles or New York probably two or three times a month. So I was taking my little bag of um, injectables on airplanes, having to explain at customs and security. It was, it was all challenging and not something I would recommend to anybody. Uh, you know, looking back, I do wish I had pulled back a little bit on my work commitments, but yeah, you know, you do the best you can with the information you're given. And at the time there was no indication that that was causing any, any other challenges with our ability to not only get pregnant, but stay pregnant. Um, so we decided that we weren't going to be super public about where we were at because, and I think a lot of people will relate to this. We never thought we were going to have to tell people we thought we were going to get some help, get pregnant and have a child. And we didn't feel like, and as the years stretched on and as the invasiveness and as the losses accumulated, it shifted from, well, we don't know if we're going to have to tell, we don't think we're going to have to tell anybody because we're going to end up with a child and pregnant and whatever to, oh goodness, we might not have this happen. So let's not tell anybody for that reason. And 
I say frequently when I talk about fertility treatment and, and the journey that people are on, these are all very, very personal decisions. And there's so many factors that come into play in how you make those decisions. What's your relationship with your family like? Do you talk about personal things? It's really personal. You know, if you're going to tell them, they're going to ask questions and you have to be prepared to have boundaries and parameters around that or lift up your shirt and show them where you're doing your injections explain what that process is to them are do you want that burden as well as the burden of just fertility treatment which is so taxing or do you have a relationship with people in your family and friends that they would help remove some of the burden that them knowing what you and your partner or just you are going through would help you maybe they can drive you to an appointment. Maybe they can hold your hand. Maybe they want to be there when you take that pregnancy test. I mean, there are all kinds of different relationships and these decisions are not um, a kind of one size fits all. You really have to, and what I encourage people to do is be prepared for this to be a long journey and be prepared that whoever you let in on the journey, you are, they're going to be in the journey. And when you have bad days, they might ask you questions about things because they know about the day, not meaning to be insensitive, but they might be asking, do you want that? Be prepared for that. Or are you strong enough to set up those boundaries and parameters and say, don't ask me any questions, wait for me to come to you with the information. So there, I know there's a lot in that answer, Carolyn, but I didn't really become public about it until I was I was working at Rogers and I did a television segment with, fortunately enough, my dear friend Tracy Moore on City Line, which was, I think, still looking back on it. Not that I've looked at it for a while, but um, <laughs> it was really, really, uh, it's online if anybody wants to, wants to watch it. It's like Terry Hart infertility. It's right there. And I think it was handled really well. And I felt like I did it with uh, people who cared very much, not just about my story and making television out of it, but also about me as a person. I think that most people listening will really connect with the fact that this is really personal. And I love your advice to people and to the listeners to say, you have to figure out what's best for you, what works for you. And you know what? That can change. Oh, so you're so right, Carolyn. Oh my goodness, the change. Where you start out in this, in your emotional capacity, will change many times if you go from Clomid. I, you know, it's been 11 years, so I'm not going to start naming drugs because I think they've all changed quite significantly in that time. But, you know, once you go from, you know, pill to injectable to IUI to IVF, the level of intervention, um, as it increases for those that it's necessary for it to increase, it becomes, you know, a different ball game emotionally, or it certainly did for me. Absolutely. And even the, probably where you feel when you're first diagnosed with infertility or understanding that, you know, you're going to have to speak with a reproductive specialist or some sort of specialist to help you along this path versus two or three years in or after several failed cycles or a successful cycle and a miscarriage, how your emotional state certainly can vary and, and sort of the level of frustration or anguish or emotional I burden. 
I, yeah, I think one of the things that was always, and, and, you know, frankly, I think for the rest of my life will always be frustrating is the lack of knowing. I mean, there's so much about this that comes down to undiagnosed infertility. They can't really tell you why. And for somebody, you know, I'm a journalist and, and I like finding out answers. And this was a situation that repeatedly I was not, they were not able to give me answers. And there are many, many people who find themselves in that situation. I think that the recognition and the conversation and treatment um, around endometriosis is better now than it was back in my day. You know, in my mind, I kind of figure that I probably have endometriosis. Um, and that was probably because, you know, I had five pregnancies and couldn't sustain them. You know, I don't know. But for me, the frustration was there's nothing I can really do. Everything I'm doing is right. There's no reason they can give me exactly why I'm in this situation. So like, it's like you're blindfolding yourself every month or every other month or depending where you are. That caused me a level of frustration and a level of pain that I th- I think that that left as much of a scar emotionally for me as anything else, just the great unknown. And, you know, you think, aren't, aren't we better at this yet? And we're not, you know, if the male in the situation has a sperm problem, that's pretty easy to diagnose. And it's actually also, if you're going to have a fertility problem, sperm is the one to have. Um, because, you know, men produce so many sperm and with sperm washes and you only need one good one, you know, that's the one, that's the one to have, um, from my experience. And again, I'm not a doctor, but you know, women for all of our glory and we are glorious. We have very, very complicated bodies. We are doing something different every single day of the month. Um, while we're in our fertile years for our body to try and make a baby. And it changes every month how our body does. It changes every month for many of us. And so getting a handle on that takes time. And then when things don't go according to plan, it's all happening inside of you. So for them to actually know specifically what it is, is not really possible. And I found that eternally frustrating. (laughs) And maybe it made me not such a great patient at times, but, but that is, that was part of my truth. So for you and your husband, I'd love to know, like, at what point did you arrive? There must've been a sort of a, was there a line in the sand where you thought, okay, we will try until this point, And then after that, we're done. I'd love to know sort of the process. Like, how do you get to the point to say, this is it? The, the we're done changed so many times, Carolyn, it's really hard. You know, I think it, I think, you know, after my second miscarriage, it was, I'm done, you know, I'm never going through that again. Um, and then, and then, you know, we weren't, and we weren't, and we weren't when I'd had my fifth miscarriage, I miscarried into my second trimester and, uh, I ended up at the hospital on an IV and I got sepsis. Like I got a blood infection from the IV. I had a lot of bad luck. I was very sick after that and I, and the miscarriage was very difficult in the second trimester. And so not only was I very physically sick, but it was my fifth miscarriage. We we were six years in, we were financially, you know, really invested a lot. 
Bill was tired. I was exhausted. I was sad. I was walking around really, really sad. The hopefulness in me had kind of was starting to wane. And then just getting that physically sick afterwards scared Bill quite a lot. And he just said, this is, this is crazy what we're doing to your body, what, what we've prioritized one over the other. So we kind of decided we were going to stop with injectables and and doing all of that through our uh, endocrinologist. And then it, but we were still pursuing the egg donor situation. And I really lost my mind at that point. I don't mean to be glib, but I I really struggled with my mental health after that because it just felt like the world was aligned in a way that was, did not include me. That was it. That, that just felt like, okay, a, I need to get emotionally healthier, healthier. B, the hope in me had really been extinguished. And financially, I couldn't imagine more. I, I was older. I was, the, you know, I was now looking at, and my husband's much older than I am. So now we're looking at a child, a baby at a time when he's much older. You know, we started at six years earlier and it just with every other time that we had moved the bar, it made sense. You know, well, we're only this far. Well, we could try this. Well, there was another option. Well, there was, and when we stopped, um, it just felt like we had exhausted everything. And I was exhausted. I was so tired. <laughs> I was really weepy a lot. I was, I wasn't myself. And my husband wanted me back. Uh, my parents were very worried about me and it was, it was time. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that's a really intimate part of your life and I I can appreciate how challenging and how taxing I can hear almost when you're saying, you know, telling us the story, I almost can hear the, the exhaustion in your, in your tone, thinking back to that space that time it's one of the reasons that I when I see things online when I you know hear stories and television and radio and I'll just pop in the comment section and I hope I do it politely um but to remind people that the most frequent narrative around fertility treatment is like don't stop like it's meant to be and your rainbow baby will come and you know all of this and in the tiktok world it's so prevalent and I think we also need to normalize that it doesn't happen for everyone and it is okay to stop and doing a little self-evaluation through the process is, should be part of what every single, you know, fertility clinic should be doing. There should be mental health associated with every single fertility clinic. There should be after every loss, some kind of questionnaire that you take, some kind of check-in instead of this forward moving train that just only has one endpoint. There are many, many endpoints and there can be many, many stops throughout, temporary stops throughout. This forward motion train, I really think does a disservice to women, couples on this journey. It is a train and it just keeps going. And patients sometimes feel like, okay, I I just have to keep going. I have to keep going. So thank you for reminding 
our listeners that it's okay to pause, it's okay to take a break, and it's okay to stop. None of those are the wrong answers. And I think we need to hear that more and we need to be more vocal about those pieces. I just also want to say, I have a fantastic life. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, I'm now 51 years old. This is part of my life. And because I am a communicator, I feel like it is part of the things that I'm able to communicate about. And I hope each time I do, it makes a little bit of difference in somebody's life, but I have a fantastic life. I, you know, my husband does have a child from a previous relationship and she has a child. So I have a child in my life who is five and a half years old, five and three quarters. She'll be six in February. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can include children and families in your life. There's all kinds of ways that you can have impact in people's lives. Um, And I think that that is part of the parenting want is to have an impact. And for somebody who's facing the decision of maybe stopping because maybe they feel the train has been going on for too long, you know, sit down and think about all the reasons you wanted to parent. And for me, you know, I wanted to have an impact. I wanted to show the world to somebody else in kind of the way I see it and do things with a person that I don't really feel like adults do or should do on their own. Well, I've stripped myself of that disnotion. I go to things that are more family oriented by myself as an adult frequently. So I don't miss out. Um, I'm lucky enough that I have my stepdaughter has a child and uh, I don't call myself grandma. She is, she's filled up in the grandma departments. She just calls me Terry. And um, so I have her, but, you know, lean into your friends and family who have children, have playdates with them, have sleepovers with them, have an impact. And there are ways for you to live life and have an impact. I think that's just a beautiful way to encourage people that with the right support, and I really do, as you do, encourage people to get the mental health support. You can't, you're not expected to do this on your own. Learn the tools to help you move through grief. And I'm I'm assuming at different times or maybe moments or days, maybe even weeks where your journey may have come back to you and, and sort of had a more negative impact on you over the years, um, as I'm yeah. sure it does with other people. Do you, how, how do you kind of navigate that piece? I let it happen. Hmm. Grief doesn't go away. And I don't think it just gets easier. I think you manage it differently. We have anniversaries of our miscarriages, of the loss of babies that we were carrying that we recognize in different ways. And sometimes it's not an anniversary. Sometimes I'm just struck at a moment by, you know, how at times I feel my body betrayed me. And, and that is, I mean, that hasn't gone away. I still feel that. Um, I don't know if I always will, but I still feel that a decade later. Maybe if there's a therapist <laughs> listening to this, they'll reach out and be like, girl, you need some help with that, which is possibly true. But <laughs> I do still feel like my body betrayed me. In the same way, we don't ask people to just get over any other loss in their life. I don't think we should ask people to get over this loss, whether they've lost a pregnancy or whether they've lost the dream of becoming a parent. And however that has happened, that is a loss. Loss and grief are not a competition. 
it's not somebody is sadder because you know they lost somebody who they were physically with a grandparent or a parent or a child or whatever none of this is a competition everybody's emotion how they feel about what's happened in their own life is equally valid and i think that that's some place that we're getting to in this discussion about fertility and infertility that I'm so grateful for. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, people didn't talk about loss of pregnancies in the same way. People didn't talk about them. I mean, people weren't going on social media and talking about, people weren't using Taylor Swift songs to use to express how they feel about the loss of a pregnancy. I mean, this is being normalized in a way that I think is so healthy for society. And it's, it's, you know, organizations like yours, Carolyn, um, that make a difference in people talking about loss in people talking about struggle. And I think when we recognize that we are all walking miracles, getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and having a baby is an unbelievable miracle. I think knowing that readily and daily makes us better people to each other. So a couple things in that answer. Loss is real. We're allowed to feel it. It comes back when it does allow it to be your truth because it is. And know that every single person is a miracle. We all came here the same way. And that in and of itself it never, ever doesn't stop me dead in my tracks when I remember that. Wow. Thank you for so eloquently putting together your journey and and for encouraging people that there is hope after, even when you feel you've lost the hope and, and for continuing to use your voice to speak for the stories of people who really sometimes do get lost because all of the other stories um, and the celebrations of the babies that do come after infertility can can be lost in the shadows. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and for all of our listeners continuing well, that conversation. Thank you so much, Carolyn. And thank you so much for the work that you and your team are doing. Um, if, you know, communities like this really matter. They were starting to bubble up um, in my journey and I was so grateful for them. And I, I follow a, a lot of different uh, things. And, you know, that algorithm always knows our story. So my TikTok is filled <laughs> with stories of uh, people in different phases of infertility. And it makes a difference. Being seen makes a difference, which is why I want to make sure that people are seen no matter how their journey ends up. Terry Hart, thank you so much for your incredible wisdom. Thanks so much, Carolyn. 